Take your Bibles, turn to the letter of Ephesians. I love the story of the little boy who lived in a city on the shore of a great big lake. Little boy loved the water, he loved sailing, he was so fascinated with sailing that with the help of his father, he spent many months making a beautiful model sailboat that he would take out and sail along the shore of that lake. One day a gust of wind caught his tiny boat and carried it far out into the lake. The boat became lost to the little boy, distraught. He was heartbroken. Day after day, he would walk the shore of the lake looking for his boat to no avail. One day he was walking down the sidewalk in the town where he lived, and he noticed in the window of a shop his little boat. He walked in. He explained to the owner that the boat was his, that he, in fact, had made the boat. The owner told the little boy that it was not his, that he had paid good money for the boat from a local fisherman who had found it. And if the little boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the required price. The little boy left the store went about doing odd jobs, see if he could make enough money to buy back his boat. One day he had collected, worked for, and saved the right amount of money. He walked back into the store, gave the money to the owner. The owner went over to the window got the boat, handed it to the little boy. Little boy holds it in his arms and with a big smile on his face, he said, you are twice mine now. I made you and I bought you. Friend, that is a perfect illustration of redemption. The one who has redeemed us is the one who created us. And the price that he paid was a high price. He paid for your life and mine with his blood. I would say to you this morning, if you have a lost family member or a lost friend, this is a message they need to hear. Redemption is the central theme of the verses before us in chapter 1, verses 4 through 14 of Ephesians. Paul explains how each member of the Godhead played a part in salvation. We have been selected by the Father. We've been saved by the Son. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
Each aspect of salvation calls us to praise God's glorious name and to thank Him for His grace. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 4 through 6 at the Father's work in salvation. God chose us in Christ, Paul says, from the foundation of the world to be His adopted sons and daughters, to be holy and blameless. The question that arises in our hearts is, how can we ever achieve such an exalted state and condition? Something has to be done about the problem of our sin. It was to perform this special work that God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. In His eternal wisdom, God devised a way whereby man could be reconciled to himself. And that way is outlined here in verses 7 through 12. Today, we're going to see how the Father's purpose has been carried out in and through the work of His Son, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. By shedding His blood on the cross, Jesus provides the way whereby we are redeemed. Paul could never get over this truth, and neither should we. Here's what I want you to take away from the text this morning. Jesus Christ redeems those whom the Father calls. Jesus redeems those whom the Father calls. Now, in this section of verses, in verses 7 through 12, we have Jesus' saving work in salvation. Jesus' part in the salvation process. There are four blessings that Paul speaks of related to the work of the Son. We're going to look at each of these over the next two Sundays. The first blessing that we see is found in verse 7 and the first part of verse 8. And that is the blessing which we have been singing about this morning. The blessing of redemption. Look what Paul says here. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Now that word redemption means deliverance on payment of a ransom. A thing is redeemed by the payment of a stipulated price. In the Old Testament, for instance, if a man became a slave as a result of being captured or conquered, he could be redeemed by his nearest kinsman if the required ransom was paid. Same thing was true if someone was in prison. He could be freed if his kinsman would pay the required ransom price. In New Testament times, it is estimated that in the Roman Empire, there were an estimated six million slaves. If a person wanted to free a loved one or a friend who was a slave, he would buy that slave for himself 
and then grant his or her freedom with a written certificate. The term redemption is used interchangeably in the New Testament for salvation. So when you see the word redemption, it's a theological term we don't talk a lot about, but it means simply salvation. Paul used it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He said, You're in, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, we read, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now, in the two verses that we're looking at this morning, we see redemption from four angles. First, I want you to note our Redeemer. Who is it that redeems us? Look what Paul says. In Him, meaning Christ, we have redemption. You see, the obstacle between God and us is dealt with in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the heart of the gospel stands the truth that there is no redemption at all apart from Jesus Christ. Friend, Christianity is Christ. Unless Jesus is central to what is being offered as salvation, it is not Christian salvation. Whatever else it may be, it is not Christian salvation. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Friend, Jesus did not come to tell us what we must do in order to save ourselves. He came to redeem us himself, to act. On our behalf. It's in Him that we have salvation. That's why He said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Luke records in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, <clears throat> for there is no other name under heaven given among men by, by which we must be saved. It is Christ himself and what he has done on our behalf that constitutes our redemption. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Friend, do you believe that it is only because of what happened in Christ and because of him alone that God has saved you? has nothing to do with anything else. It's all about Jesus. He is our Redeemer. That's the first thing I want you to see about this whole doctrine of redemption, of salvation, that Jesus is man's Redeemer. Secondly, I want you to see our ransom. Look at the next part of the verse. He says, we have redemption through his blood. Now, blood is the very essence of the doctrine of salvation. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Friend, nothing but blood will satisfy the law's demand. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, the Old Testament law. After his resurrection, he said this in Luke 24, verse 44. He says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, let's think about that. In the Old Testament, the Jews offered up sacrifices and offerings. Those sacrifices and offerings pointed to Christ. They had their meaning in Christ, the Messiah. Their whole purpose was to appease God. The blood of bulls and goats and the sacrificial lamb was shed in order that God and man might be reconciled. Those animal sacrifices foretold what Jesus did once and forever. In Hebrews chapter 9, we find an explanation of all this. The writer of Hebrews explains that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats were only figures. They merely covered sins for the time being. They could never cleanse a man's conscience or purify a woman's heart. They were only reminders of how badly sin has affected our life. However, Jesus has come and he has offered himself as a sacrificial lamb of God. And as such, Jesus has taken his own blood, as it were, into the heavenly sanctuary and he has spread his blood as it were on the altar of God and where the Jews had to repeat their sacrifices the sacrifice of Jesus was once and for all and his blood covers wipes away all of our sin friend listen we are saved in Christ and by Christ alone. Not by his teaching, not by his miracles, not by his healing, but by what he has done, by what he has achieved. He has ransomed us. He has paid the price of our redemption. And the price was a high price. It was the price of his own blood. Redemption is payment of a price or ransom. And the ransom for our red, uh, redemption was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the Redeemer is Jesus. The ransom price was his blood. But I want you to see, and thirdly, our release. Look what he says in the middle of that verse. He says... In Christ, in him, we have redemption. Paul says, look at this, the forgiveness 
of our trespasses. Now that word trespass or forgiveness has the idea of releasing or sending away. It carries in it the idea of letting go of sin, of dismissing it. The basic idea in redemption is that something is done about our sin so that it is no longer a factor in our relationship to God. We are released from it. And that release that we experience is twofold. First of all, it's a release from the power of sin. Jesus taught that whenever anyone commits a sin, they become the slave of that sin. As we commit sin, we lose the power to do anything about the sin. The sin ends up controlling us rather than us controlling the sin. The sin uses us instead of us using the sin to gain something that we desire. So we set out committing sin, thinking that we're going to fulfill a desire. And what happens is that the sin that we commit ends up controlling and defeating us. But when God forgives, the power of that sin over the life of the individual is broken. The person is released from the power of sin. I think that's what... Paul, I mean John, in meant in part when he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood that cleanses. It releases us from the hold of sin on our life. Not only that, there's a second thing that we notice about the release from sin that we uh, enjoy through redemption, and that is a release from the penalty of sin. Now, the, we know that the penalty for sin, according to Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is death, eternal separation from God forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. The Bible says that sin cuts us off from a relationship with God, both now and for eternity. But when God forgives sin, he sets aside the penalty. Listen, Jesus bore our penalty on the cross. He died the death that we deserved. When he died there on the cross... He took upon himself every single sin that you and I have ever committed and the punishment for that sin is death. And that's why Jesus had to die. And when Jesus took our sin upon himself, he took his righteousness and put it upon ourselves so that he would die and we would live. If that doesn't get you excited, nothing else will. You're an unexcitable person. I'm telling you, friend, listen. Let's be honest. Every single one of us is sinned, amen? You think about all the sins that you've committed in your life. We deserve hell. 
according to the Bible. But forgiveness is Jesus coming to you and saying, if you trust me, if you believe in me, I will remove the penalty of your sin. I will release you from the hold of sin on your life. I will release you from the power of sin. I will release you from the penalty of sin. Every sin you've ever committed or will ever commit, I will remove it. God will look at you and write across your life forgiven, debt paid. Martin Luther told about a vision that he had one time where he had an encounter with the devil. Satan approached Luther in his vision and he had this long scroll in his hand. And the scroll contained a long list of sins and Satan said to Luther, these are your sins, Martin Luther. Luther took the scroll from Satan's hand quietly and carefully he looked over that long list reading that list he looked up to Satan and he said you're right every single one of them are mine and Satan said what are you going to do about those sins Martin Luther says he went over to his desk and he got his quill. He set that scroll down on his table on his desk. And in large letters, he wrote across those lists, that list of sins, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth all sin. And what a wonderful thing to know that you've been released from the penalty of your sin. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus carried our sins in his body. He died in our place so that our sins, all of them, past, present, and future, might be forgiven. God has taken our sins and he has removed them from us. As far as the east is from the west, he has put them behind his back to remember them no more. He has buried them in the depths of the ocean and put up a sign that says, no fishing here. He has totally and absolutely forgiven you of every single sin you have ever committed, you ever will commit, is forgiven. If that doesn't get you excited, look in the fourth place. At our riches. You may be asking, why would God want to forgive me? Can you give me one reason, Rick, why a holy God would care that much about me? 
What is it that gives us this salvation by ransom, this forgiveness of sins? There's only one explanation. And Paul says, God's forgiveness, look at it, is according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Not just his grace, but grace that he lavished upon us. Paul was a man who understood grace which is not surprising in view of what happened to him on the Damascus Road. Paul never ceased to wonder that he, a man who had been a persecutor and a blasphemer, a self-righteous and proud Pharisee, of all men should have been forgiven and moreover called to be an apostle and a preacher of the gospel that he would be the recipient of God's grace was truly amazing. It led him to exclaim in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. And now Paul's greatest desire was that all might experience the riches of God's grace for themselves. He was driven by the thought of these riches. It was the chief reason for Paul writing this letter of Ephesians. Friend, God did not look at how bad and extensive your sins are and then turn his back and walk away in silence. Instead, when God looked, at you and me and saw all the sins that we have committed and are guilty of, God willed a way to bring you back home to him. He did that through the death of his son, which was an act of grace. For grace is something one receives, not what one deserves. It was grace alone that sent Jesus to the cross. We owe our salvation to the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. God the Father has graced us generously. We do not have words to accurately describe his amazing grace. You might say grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Friend, if you truly understand redemption, if you truly understand the fact that we are saved by grace, you will never again talk about trying to become a Christian or that you're a Christian because you live, try to live a good life. Jesus' blood alone saves. He has paid your ransom price. He has delivered you from the law, from death and the grave and from hell itself and has reconciled you 
to God. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ. I'd encourage you this morning to go again to the cross and to stand there and look at it and study it. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Stay there until you see that you never have had or ever will have one ounce of righteousness. That all your goodness is as filthy rags. See your sins laid upon the Lord Jesus and see him paying the ransom for your redemption. The purchase price of your salvation. And then fall at his feet. Worship and praise him. And give yourself to him saying, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friend, if we truly appreciated these riches, it is because so many of us have not done so that we are dissatisfied with life, constantly complaining, constantly criticizing, constantly grumbling. It explains why many, even in the church, are bitter and miserable and therefore never attract anyone to the Lord Jesus. When the thought of the riches of God's grace fills your heart and soul, you can't help but break out in spontaneous adoration and praise. And your heart will be filled with joy unknowable to the lost person and to the world around us. I don't know of any idea that could enter the human mind and could make as much difference in your life as knowing for sure that you have been redeemed. To carry with you day by day the guilt of past sins is a burden that squeezes all the joy and the peace out of life. It makes every day seem gray and discouraging. But to know that that heavy burden has been lifted off of you and that you are forgiveness, that you are forgiven, brings joy unspeakable. It reminds me of John Bunyan's allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, which depicts exactly what happens in the life of the believer. As the character Christian came with his heavy burden on his shoulder at last to the cross, he fell beneath the cross and looked up, and the burden was lifted from his back, and it rolled down into the empty grave. Can I just tell you this morning, 
you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father has lifted the burden of your sin off of your shoulder. And he has tossed them in to the empty grave of the Lord Jesus Christ. There to stay forever. Never to look on them again. And if you've got nothing else to praise God for this morning, you and I ought to be humble. Not just sing Amazing Grace because it's such a sweet sounding song, but to sing it with meaning, with passion, with understanding, with humility and gratitude. There for the grace of God go I. And without the grace of God, I am nothing but Jesus, Jesus is everything. Stand up.